Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepicks.com/get100. For a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Welcome to the ninth episode of the Meet the Mancunian podcast. The Meet the Mancunian podcast takes you on a weekly journey around the local community in Manchester. Season two has an interesting lineup of inspiring guests making a social or a community impact in the city. Presented by Deepa Thomas Sutcliffe. Newbie Mancunian. Tune in every Tuesday for your weekly dose of inspiration. Love music? We hear from Jay Taylor, a music industry character, in this episode. I'm delighted to introduce my guest, Jay Taylor, Chair, Manchester Music Commission. I'm delighted to introduce my guest, Jay Taylor, Chair, Manchester Music Commission. Thank you, Jay, for joining me today. Hi. Hi, Jay. So tell us about your background in the music industry. You had you had a very interesting expression on your LinkedIn, which was like a, did you say use the music, a music character? Um, yeah, I mean, my father was a bass player and my mom was a showgirl. And, um, you know, they met through show business. My dad was playing bass, my mom was dancing in the chorus line. And so music was always around the house you know the radio was on and dad was out playing um you know top of the pops was on you know mum and dad had a big record collection my grandfather played uh the grand piano and also the soprano ukulele which is like i adore that those were the two things he chose you know a ginormous instrument and, and a little one um and so music was always around um i think when i was growing up aspirations to get into the music industry um, were tempered by how far away it felt, how how distant that those roles were and how inaccessible they were, I think, you know, and obviously, you know, a bunch of things like punk rock and whatnot brought those things a little closer. Um, but I kind of got bullied into the industry. You know, I was in bands, but never really could work out how to get into the industry. Like most people, it did seem like this um, impenetrable uh, space. But I had a buddy who was um, a music journalist and, and my favorite Mancunian band, Dubsex, their bass player was decided to leave the band and cycle around the world for charity on a tandem. Wow. And he went, you know, you should really, uh, you should, you know, you're an okay bass player. You should audition. I know the manager. And I'm like, you know, I don't know. You know, I'm like a kid and what are they? they don't know me. You know, what are they going to make of me you know surely they've got friends who they might want to he kind of interview for the part and um but he kind of he phoned me up or or we um we met for a drink and he went oh you're in you know you've got an audition it's next week 
And so I got kind of, it's my friend Mike Noon, who works for the Arts Council now. It's like one of my oldest friends. And, um, and so the actual bit where I became a legitimate part of the music industry and not just this, you know, this dilettante uh, was forced upon me. And so pretty much everything that happened since then was down to Mike Noon kind of going, no, no, you, you're better than you think you are. You should kind of get into this. And then obviously, like a lot of people, joined a series of bands, some of which put records out and had publishing deals and toured and went abroad and did all those things that you, you, you dream of. Um, and then while that was happening, a little bit of my brain was saying that even though there's a suggestion that if you consider a plan B, you may compromise your plan A. I always thought that was hogwash and that what you should really have a backup plan because I could end up, you know, back where I was, which at that point was, you know, working in a comic book shop. Although to be fair, that was, that was a pretty good gig. Um, and so when I was in bands that were doing okay, and I was, then I was in the industry, I could start finding out about it and asking questions. So when I met producers, I kind of went, what does that button do? When I met press agents, I went, how does your job work? When I met tour managers, I went, how do you go about it? And so I was, I made a, um, a nuisance of myself, but just kind of stuffed knowledge uh, into me. So that when um, like the professional uh, musician uh, career founded, I, uh, um, I had something to do because I had all this stuff in my head. And so then I started doing other roles in, in the music industry. And that's like the short version, I suppose. It probably put, it's, it's like a decade and a half or whatever it is, or two decades or something when you when you scrunch it all together. Amazing. I, I love the fact that you're almost doing osmosis, right? You're kind of asking everybody about their day jobs and how that works and with a, you know, with a real sense of curiosity. And that's how I mean, it, I mean, sure. I mean, I wanted to know anyway. You know, it wasn't just knowledge is power. It was like I was genuinely interested. But I think... There was there weren't you know colleges like BIM didn't exist. A lot of that information was either sort of just not on public record, or in some instances there was a conspiracy of silence. And so to kind of get that information, you sort of needed to be in it a little bit. And so when I was in there, I certainly wasn't going to waste my time. You know, I was I was going to make a nuisance of myself and pester and 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 sort of stock up on that information that might help me. And also be able to kind of control your um, your musical destiny a little bit, I suppose. That sounds like a great way to do it. Um, can you tell us about your role at the Manchester Music Commission? You're now the chair. Um, sure, yeah. So um, um, a music report was written uh, by Manchester Culture Team and, yeah, and people within the mayor's office for Greater Manchester a few years ago and one of the recommendations was to set up a permanent music commission who could advise and steer policy and, and make things better for Manchester music overall. Um, I contributed to that report and then um, was on a couple of steering groups uh, um, and, and had, had interactions for instance with like the nighttime economies team. So when this came along uh, we started having conversations about me being part of it and and about who else might join the commission. Um, and then, so we bounced a bunch of names out. I mean, it ended up being in public, so anybody could apply to, to join it. But we, we've ended up with, I think, is it 15 or so uh, people who are sensational from all across uh, um, the, the, the uh, um, different sectors of music, but all working within Greater Manchester. And so we've had two meetings and have made 
good progress, I would say. The people are brilliant. We have good aspirations. And I think we there's it's not just going to be a bunch of people sat in a room yammering away. Stuff's going to get done. Stuff's already been done. Uh, um, and, and, you know, and also, um, pardon me? What is the focus for the Music Commission? What What is it that you're managing? Um, uh, to improve and support the circumstances around music in Manchester, be that the live sector or studios or rehearsal rooms or um, artists, funding, uh, travel between shows, uh, um, or travelling and out of different parts of Greater Manchester, um, anything where music touches, you know, well-being, diversity. It, it's going to be any any bit that any bit of uh, of culture and and society that Manchester music touches. We, you know, we're going to try and support and encourage. And particularly, you know, important now given the you know the mess of the past two years and and you know and, and what people had to go through and the effects it had on you know different sectors within music for sure um tell us about your role at the music venue trust you've been associated with oh, yes. them for some time so um uh yeah so the music venue trust um when i was running the diary at night and day we were one of the member venues and then um i think the venue i ran before that may even have been uh, member venues music venue trust started up in 2014 and it's a it's um a charity with the sole purpose of supporting grassroots live music venues and uh, um and, and beyond that a remit that nudges into grassroots live music um so i was a member venue and then at the beginning of the pandemic when it started to become apparent how bad it was going to be for grassroots live music venues. They put out um, a call saying, would anybody like to get involved to help the core team with this, you know, as, as, as it turned out, massive problem because, you know, it, they needed people out in the provinces doing some of the heavy lifting. And so uh, they wanted somebody to um, work with venues in the Northwest I threw my hat in the ring. Uh, they said yes, and so I immediately started uh, speaking to Northwest Venues. So I think at that point, um, obviously, membership grew when they realised when venues realised that there was some support out there and some somebody to speak to. Um, I think I ended up with just over a hundred venues in the Northwest, maybe 110, 120, something like that. Um, and so I did that for the the span of the pandemic. When uh, when restrictions were lifted and people could start trading as normal. A bunch of the um, coordinators went back to their original roles. A lot of them own venues or program venues, so they they had venues to look after. You know that were now open and trading and and, and doing what they were supposed to do. Um, and myself and my colleague um, Sophie Asquith. Sophie used to run the Diary at Bush Hall in London, and, and she was a, um, a London coordinator. Um, we our roles expanded to cover uh, England, so we're now looking after about seven hundred venues in England between us. When you and so that's that, that's my day job, yeah. Wow, you've also got uh, uh, you're working with. So is it the? I don't know if the right term is a host at the open door night at the Nook Cafe. Is that something that you're still doing? Yeah, yeah, I can talk about that. That um, so I live in a suburb of Greater Manchester, called, uh, um, a borough of Greater Manchester called Stockport, in a suburb called Eaton Moor, and um, there wasn't really anywhere for people to perform that wasn't just people putting on covers bands you know 
Um, there was no, uh, um, at that point, there was no, a few more sprung up since, but there wasn't like an open mic for kind of songwriters and poets or spoken word artists or comics. And so my favourite local bar, um, I kind of cooked up this idea that we would do something that was a bit like an open mic, but not. Because most, to be honest, in, in a suburb like that, you don't really have many people just turn up because it's, you know, it's a bit far flung. So I program it. So it's weekly, unless we skip a week for whatever reason. But by and large, it's weekly. Um, and it's a mix of songwriters, uh, like I say, poets, spoken words, some comedians. We've had little plays perform. People do weird presentation pieces, live art. Um, it's not um, a shushy sit on your hands and uh, keep quiet. Um, occasion the audience get involved the audience you know we we, we have a sing-along at the end so the audience gets to kind of sing and, uh, and and get involved I set the audience a strange challenge every week where they can win like a, um, a worthless prize and so I you know I've done ones where I got them to draw the person next to them I got people to recant the worst way they've been dumped um, I've had people writing poems about the neighborhood you know something and and so it's it's a small space it only holds about 45 people it's it's really bg but it's got like a little mezzanine level we've got a really good pa um the proprietor seems to be happy with me doing whatever the hell i want to do i compare it um it it, it kind of works really well it's sort of like a weird little um this little oddball cabaret i was always growing up because i don't come from the irish community i was always jealous uh, um of that thing that the Irish community had on Sunday afternoons in pubs in Lovingham, you know, I used to go along and, 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 you know, there'd be like music and people dancing and kids running around and it'd just be this amazing atmosphere, you know, I was like, oh, kind of so cool that. And so a little bit of it is informed by that. The proprietor of Nook, the cafe where I do it is Irish. Uh, um, and then a little bit of it is informed by some, a bit of kind of, um, sort of irreverent cabaret, I suppose. And so it's sort of like a weird Irish sort of drinking uh, musical occasion mashed with like Vic Reeves' Big Night Out. That's the way we like to describe it, you know. And it works pretty good, you know. You can put, you can, you can, um, if anybody's got like kind of more um, serious or plaintive things to perform or say, you can kind of put that earlier on in the evening when people, you know, aren't as pie-eyed. And then later on, you can put the louder, more raucous sing-along stuff later on, and it just goes on this trajectory uh, where, you know, everybody's um, sort of in it together. It works all right, you know? Sounds fine. And maybe in the end, you can tell people about, you know, the logistics of how, if they want to attend it, you, you can tell them about it. Is sure. It I mean, it's free, it's free entry. Um, if people kind of look for Nook Cafe online or, or look for Open Door at Nook online, they'll find contact details for it, for it. I mean, we've had people play from the States and from Japan and from Europe, you know, uh, some people who live up the road, people putting on their, you know, putting on a, a guitar and playing for an audience for the very first time, but also pensioners turning up and playing. It's sort of, it, it, if somebody's got something to say, they're welcome like it very much sounds like a fun fun evening yeah so what inspired you to get involved you're involved in so many different things they're all the, with a the common link of music and music um you know um probably music at the grassroots level making music more accessible that seems um, to be some of the common themes so what inspired you to really get involved well i mean it, it 
I mean, selfishness, ultimately, you know, you know, happy is the person who is paid for their hobbies, you know, I'm paraphrasing, um, you know, Pygmalion. Uh, um, but the, um, you know, getting up and not resenting the day ahead of you, that's a pretty good uh, stimulation. Um, you know, getting on a bus and seeing other people who plainly resented where they were going and not wanting that. I mean, you know, ultimately, I want to get up and, and, and have my own way, don't I? But but also found a way of getting up and having my own way, but also largely doing work that sort of helps people. And, you know, and and a bit of that, getting involved with the Music Venue Trust, a bit of that um, was informed by how I police my own well-being over lockdown as well. Once it became apparent that it wasn't going to be three months and this was good, this could well be a year or more, um, I want. I really seriously thought about what my game plan was for me not losing my marbles in the middle of it, and the bit of that was having a real focus every day and having having structure and it not just being you know um, two years on YouTube. Oh. And so, so a bit of that was was like a, absolutely categorically and and um, a decision to sort of fill my days with stuff that sort of made you know had an effect on personal well being for sure. I like that very much because you, you know, through improving your personal well-being, you're obviously making an impact on so many. So that's amazing. Yeah, that's the plan. Yeah, that was that was it. You know, it was sort of win-win, really. I mean, some of those days during the pandemic when we we're speaking to venues, and and you know, categorically, some of those venues came really close to closing. We did lose some venues, but but surprisingly few ultimately. You know, a combination of things sort of kept those venues open. Some national funding some uh, devolved local funding, um, the generosity of the communities around those spaces, resilience from the amazing people who run those venues, you know, hopefully help from myself and the rest of the trust, you know, kind of that sort of jigsaw support did pull most of those venues through. But, the, but some of them had, you know, really terrible days. You know, some days you'd, you'd speak to people and, and what you were doing was offering pastoral care. You weren't really offering sort of empirical support some of those days because they just they were done with it they just wanted to talk for a bit and so it, it it categorically wasn't easy for people and so i think the fact that we we've come out of this with a landscape that we recognize with most of those venues intact is extraordinary because it didn't feel like that at the beginning i can only imagine how hard it would have been for anybody in the gig economy or uh, you know the venues itself because people people probably just focus even now i think a lot of people are still focusing more on the basics isn't it and are, are you really going out and catching up with it well, and stuff i don't know if that's bounced back yet but you probably i think um uh, i mean it's it feels um speaking to the membership it feels perhaps slightly different in cities compared to some of the suburbs and some of the boroughs of big cities um there's probably a through line that that, that, that suggests that certain age groups and demographics have, have have gone back to live music sooner than other ones so i think we're not there yet but but you know we're making progress every day oh. You've talked a little bit about so many different areas, but maybe pick one of them and tell us a little bit about who you're helping and supporting. Maybe the uh, maybe talk a little bit about the Music Venue Trust or the Manchester Music Commission. And sure, 
you know, uh, describe what what's the challenge for? Um, okay, well, I'll, I'll I mean I'll talk about uh, you know some of the things the trust does. So you know today, um, what did I do today? Today, you know, I kind of got up. Um, I spoke to some venues about. Um, me and my colleague Sophie spoke to some venues about neighbour noise issues. So there's a lot of those all over the UK. Either somebody who's moved into an apartment next to a music venue who wants to change the environment around them, even though that venue have a history there, or venues where there's going to be a development next door that could ultimately affect um, that venue's livelihood later on. So we deal with a lot of, sort of neighbour noise uh, uh, issues and, and try and navigate those. Every day always has something to do with that on it. But we, you know, we we um, we lobby central government a lot. You know, we've had real successes um, lobbying central government. Um, obviously, I do quite a bit of work with, with local government, but we also write to different councils and authorities around the UK and sort of engage with them to support their local uh, grassroots music venues. Um, you know, we 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 write to landlords. We negotiate with uh, utility companies. We advise people on insurance and on. Um, on soundproofing, we have um, a series of gurus attached to the, the to, to the uh, trust that um, that have individual specialisms, yeah. uh, um, and so some you know a lot of the time we're bringing those in. So you know, for instance, today um, I had a meeting uh, with a venue and our licensing guru, for instance. Um, but we have um, an amazing funding guru as well, and the funding team, so that uh, we support venues through um, funding applications. So the sector. Before the pandemic, the, the, the grassroots sector had a less than 5% um, interaction with mainstream public funding. Um, and now it's gone past 70. And that's largely because the, to, to survive, those venues had to access um, culture recovery fund and some national funding, some local funding pots, and learn how to do it. You know, to get a grantium account at the, uh, uh, you know, and, and access it through the Arts Council England, and and so we did a lot of work, sort of upskilling venues when it came to their um, their understanding and ability to chase pots of money. And so one of the great successes of the past two years is that we've now got a sector that's actually quite good at it because they've done it a series of times now. Uh, and, and have been successful, you know, have largely been successful in getting these pots of money. And so not only have we got a sector that knows how to um, fill in those forms and, and and do the work to chase those those pots of money, um, there's also been a, a, a levelling up where those people are getting uh, the kind of um, cultural support that other areas of culture had had all along. And so, you know, we did a huge amount of work on that, and we still do, we still kind of help people with kind of funding bids. Um, you know, it's it's every day. You know, some some of the conversations with venues are ongoing because it's a big problem. You know, if there's a developer about to build a ginormous skyscraper next to a small music venue, then that's that, that is kind of can be quite a long term piece of work. But sometimes it's just somebody phoning up and kind of going, "Listen, I, I don't understand this line on this on this piece of documentation. Can you decode it for me?" Um, we encourage a lot of peer to peer work. So a lot of the venues who um, who've had experiences, good or bad, we encourage them to share them with the rest of the um, uh, the alliance, so that they're they're supporting one another. I mean, it's 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 really varied, you know. And and I'm speaking, you know, and you, one minute you're speaking to a venue in London, next minute you're speaking to one in Carlisle, you know. Next phone calls Liverpool. It's um, yeah, yeah. It's never a, it's never a slow day. You don't have slow days. 
very interesting. Oh, what impact would you say you've made? It sounds like you made a lot of impact and you continue to do so every day, but, you know, can you dimensionalize it a little bit for us? Um, I think it's easier for me to kind of uh, to, to, to blow a trumpet when I'm talking about the trust as a whole and, and, and not just my own involvement. But, you know, we raised a lot of money as well. We raised, I think we, we had a, our Save Our Venues campaign, which is essentially money that kind of went into the trust that we sometimes distributed to venues. We, we gave some venues some bursaries, but also kind of paid for lawyers and these and gurus and people to come in and kind of support venues and things like that. Um, those, you know, I think we raised, did we raise like three million quid, three and a half million quid? We raised quite a bit of money, you know. We had a project, for instance, where over lockdown, because we were aware that venues couldn't just be keep asking their communities to give them money. Um, we made a load of Save Our Venues merch and then put um, sites together that the venues could access, whereas the, where the venues sold the merch and kept 100% of the money they got for the Save Our Venues merch. So there were loads of initiatives like that, you know, just to kind of punch money into venues because it did need this kind of jigsaw funding. Um, I like you that know, we, we, expression. We, it's very nice because it's like, you know, you've got the local community, but the government funding, maybe at different levels. Sure. And you have the, uh, like you said, the merchandise and some amount of self-sustaining uh, elements. It's, sure, yeah. You know, I like and, the expression. Um, one of the one of the projects we've just worked on is a thing called Revive Live. So we were, we were aware that... Um, a, venues were going to take a while to kind of recover. B, there were some historic quiet points. Uh, um, so January is always, you know, can be a quiet month for some venues. The summer can be a quiet, uh, quiet period for venues. So we um, we cut a deal with the National Lottery, Lottery for them to help us fund events. So we punched a load of events into venues, um, some tours and some one-off events that we that we uh, that venues created themselves. Um, into into uh into january uh, and so that's an ongoing ongoing project i mean you know the, the the best bit of the work is that we've um we've stopped venues shutting and therefore have kept people in work little that's the best bit of it you know and those venues that stay open not only have they kept their own staffing work, their own sound engineers, their own box office people, their you know their promoters, their baristas, their you know their production crew, but also the fact that that venue still exists means that it's 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 in a position to welcome people from the wider um, ecosystem. So an open venue, bands come and play and get paid, don't they? Tour managers turn up, merchandisers turn up, you know, crew turn up. And so it, it, that we, we knew that if we could kind of preserve that eco, our bit of the ecosystem, the rest of it that kind of flows through it would be would be helped as well. Interesting. How can interested people reach out to you and learn more? Um, if they want to find out uh, uh, about the Music Venue Trust, it's musicvenuetrust.com and, and that'll tell them everything they need to know. That's the... Uh, they can, you know, they'll find out about the different socials and they'll find out about the work we do and, and you know, what the Music Venue Alliance is. So, yeah, musicvenuetrust.com. If they go there, they'll um, they'll find out more about it. If you want to find out more about the um, the Manchester Music Commission, you could probably just put Manchester Music Commission into Google and you'll find a list of the wonderful people who make it up and, and what the aims of the uh, commission are, yeah. And, and I guess the last was the Open Door 
Oh God, yeah, yeah, forgot about that thing. So Open Door, yeah, it's um, all the socials are the same for Open Door. It's Nook Open Door, so N double O K Open Door. Um, that neat socials, they're all the same. It's nice when they're all the same, isn't it? It's like a, a social media one hundred and one, um, and you can find out about that, you know. And I'm sure if you put Jay Taylor Manchester Music into Google, I suspect I'll turn up. Although there is a fantastic other Jay Taylor in Manchester Music who's, who, who works in press, who's like a buddy, and uh, and he's brilliant, you know. So there is actually we, we, there is a pair of us. We we occasionally meet up. Very nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He does press like the whole study and stuff. He's brilliant. I used to have a lot of Deepa Thomases back home in India, but I haven't met any in uh, in Manchester yet. Uh, what advice would you have for people listening in from other parts of the world if they want to do something like this for their local communities and their uh, their um, local gigs? I mean, I, I I've uh, most of what I've done. I've either. I mean, to be fair, I, I get asked to do bits and pieces now because I've been at it a while. But a lot of what I did was forcing an issue. So if I thought there was a, um, um, you know, an opportunity for me to sort of push my agenda, and my agenda is my agenda is I want Mancunian music and, and grassroots Mancunian music and grassroots Mancunian music venues to thrive. That's my agenda. Um, I just just kind of force an issue and kind of get stuck in. I mean, it's a kind of a repeat of me pestering people when I was a kid and I didn't know how the industry worked really. It's just that later on going. Well, there's a bunch of people. There's a, there's a steering group there talking about music. There isn't anybody who represents grassroots music venues. I'm going to tell them they should have somebody on that panel, and and I want it to be me, or if not me, a version of me. And so a bit of it was just forcing an issue really, and and, and not taking no for an answer, and and just um, you know an efficient diary as well. You know, once you get busy, you sort of have to know where you, where you're going to be. And, and so you have to have quite a, um, a sort of microscopic, precise diary. But yeah, just um, don't take no for an answer. How do you balance your diary? That's very interesting because uh, I'm, I'm sure the commitments on your time are a lot. Um, sure, but again, you know, you get up in the morning, you don't resent a bit of it. it it's not hard work when you're doing good stuff and you feel personally rewarded. It's fine. You know, it's, only, it's not, the, 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 you know, how how can I complain? You know, I, I I turn the news on. How can I complain? Sure. I I hear you. So I'm going to shift gears and ask you my signature questions, which I ask all my guests. Oh yes. And the first one, which is great for uh, meet the Mancunian, is what do you love the most about Manchester? Um, I mean, it, it the recently what happened around Marcus Rashford's mural and and the way Manchester stepped up and said as, as a community what it believed in um, and the way that jumped into a space that, that, that meant nothing about sport and meant nothing about um, um, anything other than a core belief system in kindness. That's that's my favorite thing over the past couple of years, you know. Plainly, day to day, in my work for the Trust, I've seen people be wildly kind and beautiful and supportive. Um, you know, I just think that they, we, when things like that happen, you see the best of us. You see kind of world-class 
kindness. And that's, you know, that's what we're best at. You know, I'm not, I think we, you know, we, we eschew being a heritage museum pretty well. So even though we've got these amazing things that happened in the past, we're not, we're not bogged down by them. I love that about Manchester, that we're very forward thinking, uh, um, what's happening tomorrow city you know that that too but i just think those moments where we come together you know and, and the way we came together after the the bombing 96 or when the, the when we uh, the way we came together after the arena bombing it's just the very best of us that i've heard a lot about it's everything we're supposed to be the whole spirit of manchester and that and that is definitely very strong where's your favorite place in manchester my favourite place in Manchester is, is, is twofold. Um, wherever my daughter is, is my favourite place in Manchester because she's incredible and, and, and my favourite human being. Um, and, 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 and coming in second, whatever room I'm stood in that has a band at the other end. <laughs> like that. <laughs> um, what's the most important life lesson you've learned? Okay, well, this, this feeds into your the first question about what I love about Manchester. Um, um get up in the morning and try to do two things above everything else try and be a little smarter and try and be a little kinder that's the best lesson in the world I like it very much if someone wrote a book on your life what would they title it well this is easy because i had a blog for a while i'm too busy to contribute to it so i suspect it's the, the last um uh, um the last post was a long time ago but um i called it diary of a showbody and and um you know the book diary of a nobody it's a, obviously a, a play on that but um me being a showbody a because my you know i get up in the morning and most of it is to do with live music but also my father being a bass player my mum being a, a showgirl i am technically a showbody <laughs> and so so that you know i'd already thought about that answer years ago you know should anybody want to write about me kind of getting up and pulling my hair out and doing lots of Zoom meetings? <laughs> Hopefully somebody's listening <laughs> and taking notes. It, you know, it, it, it's, it's, you know, I don't know. It's not really, it's hardly Tolkien, is it? But I mean, uh, you know, if somebody was going to, yeah, Diary of a Showbody, they can run with that, you know. Nice. Is there anything I've asked you about? Oh, sorry, I haven't asked you about that you'd like to talk to us about. Or is there anything that you're coming up in the next few weeks or months that um, you just... Well, what, what I will say to people is um, um, if they really want to support live music, they, they should buy tickets, actually go to the gig, and when you're there, buy some drinks. That's the thing that pays for everything. And then go to the merch table and buy some band merch if they really want to help and anybody who's done that already or anybody who contributed you know over the past two years in whatever way brilliant human beings but yeah that's the best thing buy a ticket turn up buy a drink and buy some merch and get home safe I like that thanks again jay it's been a real pleasure and i've learned so much about you know everything going on in the music industry so it's, it's really interesting thanks for asking lovely to talk to you Jay, thank you for talking to me and my listeners. Thank you all for listening from so many countries around the globe. I'm so glad to know you're finding some inspiration from the amazing Mancunian guests who feature here. I hope you enjoyed the ninth episode of the Meet the Mancunian podcast season two. Tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Please do consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. I would also be grateful if you could share this podcast with a friend or a family member. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you work for a social enterprise or a charity or run an interesting community in Manchester, I'd love to have you on the podcast as a guest. Please do reach out via LinkedIn or Twitter. I look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you very much.